Hello and welcome to Infinite Possibilities Abound. I'm your host, Debbie Waisner. I want to start off the show with a story that's been told many times that is basically a metaphor for time in your life. From my reading, there is no one who has been acknowledged as the original source. The story starts with a philosophy professor standing in, standing in front of his class with a large empty mason jar. Now I'm going to change it up and make it a, a glass fish tank, medium-sized. He filled the container up with medium-sized or fist-sized rocks. And then he asked the students if the container was full. The students agreed, yes, the, the container was full. But of course, there were still empty spaces between the rocks. So the professor added small pebbles to the container, shook the container, and filled up the empty spaces. He then asked if the container was full. And the students agreed that the container was full. Then the professor poured in sand, shook the container to fill in the spaces between the rocks and the pebbles, and once again asked the students if the container was full. And they all agreed that it was. Now, in some stories, this is where it ends. But having a little bit of a science background, I know that there are still empty spaces. And so you could pour water in over the rocks, pebble, and sand to fill in the spaces that are very hard to see, maybe even impossible to detect with your eyes and vision. The rocks represent the most important things in your life, the big things like work, your family, your health, so that if the sand and the pebbles and the water were lost, the jar would still be full. Your life would still have meaning. The pebbles represent things in your life that matter, but that you could do without or live without. Your hobbies, your house, and friendships, they're not absolutely critical for you to have a fulfilled and meaningful life. These things come and they go. They're not permanent, and you don't need them for a fulfilled life. The sand represents the filler of your life. It could be watching television, going to concerts, running errands, playing video games, being on your phone or computer. In general, these things don't mean as much to your life as a whole and may be done only to waste time or to fill time or to get small tasks accomplished. What the water represents is open to interpretation, an invisible force that you can't see, but that surrounds you constantly, whether you are paying attention to it or not. Now let's start with another empty glass tank. And now we're going to put either the sand or the water all the way to the top of the tank. You now have no room for the rocks or the pebbles. If you spend all your time on small or even insignificant items, you will run out of room for the things that actually matter to you. So you want to pay attention to the rocks and the pebbles. You want to spend your time on the rocks and the pebbles. Your priority should be on the rocks and the pebbles. Now, I can't tell you what your rocks and pebbles are. My rocks are family, health, and helping others in a variety of ways. Another way to look at this story is concentrate and put things in order. Prioritize what comes first, what comes second, what comes third. When you get what's first in order, 
then everything else can fall in line. First things always go first. And what we've seen is that if last things go first, there's no time or abilities for anything else to happen. So you need to sit down in an area that's peaceful and quiet and identify those things that are important to your life and then set aside time to work on them. And it's okay to procrastinate on the pebbles because there are other projects that are not as important. So you can sometimes put off cleaning your house or mowing the yard or pulling some weeds outside in the garden. Remember that the rocks filled up the container. So that's where your focus and priority should be. And you can live a full and happy life by concentrating and focusing on the rocks. Solve the big issues first, and time opens up to work and focus on the pebbles or the sand and water. But the reverse isn't true. Have you heard of the Pareto Principle? It's also known as the 80-20 rule. Let me start off first by saying the math isn't necessarily exact. It could be 85-15, 78-22, but the general idea of the 80-20 principle is that the biggest results in your life are created by small, important actions. So there's only a handful of your actions or activities that you do on a daily or weekly basis that have the greatest or biggest impact on your life, whether you're at home, at work, or enjoying a hobby that you, that you like. The trick is to figure out what activities give you the biggest bang for your buck that produce extraordinary results. If you examine your day, only 20% is actually spent doing important things. The rest of the time, you can be talking with coworkers, taking coffee breaks, working on social media, answering unimportant questions. This 80-20 rule can be applied to business, your finances, health and fitness, relationships, leisure activities, being of service or help, and even religion and spirituality. In business, 80% of your revenue is generated by 20% of your customers. So the question becomes is how can you get more customers that are like your top 20%? Or if 20% of your tasks take 80% of your time, what, would, what can you do or change to make better use of your time? Can you delegate, outsource, or find a way to streamline the situation? If 80% of your complaints come from 20% of your customers, what can you do to satisfy that 20%? Or can you fire those customers so you can spend more time with better customers. You can apply this to your finances. How can I eliminate those high interest debts first? What actions that I take generate the most revenue? How can I do more of those high revenue tasks? What can I do daily or weekly to improve my credit score? And when you look at your home or your apartment where you're living, 80% of my time is spent in 20% of what space? 80% of the clothes that I'm wearing is done with 20% of my clothes in my closet. So the 80-20 rule can be applied to any part of your life. For me, one of the 80-20 principles is applied to food. So I like to keep eating about 80% healthy, and therefore I can afford to splurge 20% of the time on ice cream or a chocolate chip cookie 
or some special meal with family or friends. The 80-20 principle can also be applied to your leisure or hobbies, but you have to identify those, those things that you enjoy doing. Then you can move on to eliminating physical possessions that don't mean anything to you anymore or that you're not using and that you're not going to use. What television programs or any form of media can you eliminate that are just filler? What subscriptions can you eliminate? And what are the 20% of my possessions that I use 80% of the time? As a society, humanity has been programmed to buy the latest, greatest things, whether we need them or, or not. But if you take the time and examine your life, most of your best memories usually involve a trip or time spent with family and friends or the most important people in our life at that time. To maximize the benefits of the 80-20 rule, you have to examine your life and determine what's important. And then you can begin answering questions and figure out strategies to improve the quality of your life and become more productive in all areas. I read an article this week that in the UK, children will be fed crickets, grasshoppers, and worms as part of government research to indoctrinate Western children into consuming and even preferring bugs over meat. And I was like, huh? And I read, I read a little further and discovered this was all about climate change. And to combat climate change, they want to create a form of social change. And adults are much harder to change than children. Now, I personally am not thrilled about the idea of eating insects. It is It sounds kind of gross to me. But I'm open to, to trying fried grasshoppers and crickets. I just don't think I want to make a meal of them. But this may be a cultural bias because throughout history, people have eaten insects as foods. It was necessary to consume insects to survive. Pliny, a first century Roman scholar, wrote that Roman aristocrats loved to eat beetle larvae reared on flour and wine. The Old Testament encouraged Christians and Jews to consume beetles, locusts, and grasshoppers. John the Baptist is said to have survived on locusts and honey when he lived in the desert. Major Howard Egan, who was the superintendent of the Pony Express in Nevada, watched the Indians hunt the wingless Mormon cricket. The Indians dug trenches, filled it with straw, and drove the crickets into the trenches. Then the straw was set on fire and the crickets were burned alive. The Indian women came and gathered bushel baskets of the charred insects back to the camp to make flour for bread. So the crickets were an important protein source for the Paiute Indians. Bugs remain a, con a traditional food source in many countries, including cultures in Africa, Asia, and Latin America. Eating insects is rare in most of Europe and the United States. And this probably happened because of growing crops. Insects went from being food source to the enemy. What people eat is conditioned by the culture in which you're born and raised in. I enjoy shrimp, oysters, pork, especially bacon, as acceptable foods. Other cultures reject them as dirty. Now that article spiked my curiosity, so I did do a little bit of research. 
And I liked this fact. Hamburger, which is a Western staple, is roughly 18% protein and 18% fat. A cooked grasshopper contains up to 60% protein and just 6% fat. And similar to fish, insect fatty acids are unsaturated and therefore healthier. So I can see where consuming insects could be beneficial, but I don't think I want to make a whole meal out of them. But then again, that's just me. Have you tried any of the plant-based fake meat alternatives that Big Ag's promoting today? I have not tried any of the fake meat products that are available, and I probably won't be buying any. The main reason being because it's a highly processed food, and it has to be highly processed in, in order for it to mimic the taste and texture of meat. I personally eat a good amount of fruits and vegetables, and I'm going to refuse to add this highly processed industrial fake food to my diet. Now, I did watch a very, it was a very fascinating program on how these plant-based meatless products are made and developed. The science and the engineering are fabulous, but they're engineered. And for me, that's a big no-no. Some of the ingredients are inflammatory and harmful to your gut. And then there are the chemical additives. So if you see TBHQ on the label, that's a synthetic preservative that prevents discoloration in processed food. And the FDA has set limits on how much can be used because studies have found association with TBHQ and cancer. And then there's magnesium carbonate. It's used to retain color, but it's also used in flooring, fireproofing, and fire extinguishing products. And you might remember when some bread was accused of having a yoga mat chemical, and another chemical that I avoid as much as possible is propylene glycol. And it's related to ethylene glycol, which is antifreeze. But it's odorless, colorless liquid that is a moisturizer. It softens skin. So for now, I will be passing on all forms of fake meat. And you should do some research and figure out if it's something that you want to eat also or something that you want to avoid like the plague, regardless of the commercials and promotion by Big Ag. Every time you smile at someone, it's an action of love, a gift to that person, a beautiful thing. Mother Teresa. There is a power in smiling. There is power in a smile. Research shows children smile about 400 times a day. The average adult, 20. Similar research shows 50% of the people will return a smile. Smiling can have a huge impact on your health, but also enhance the success and quality of your relationships. Want to look younger? People who smile are perceived as as looking younger than people with neutral expressions by at least three years. A Penn State University study showed people who smiled appeared more likable, more courteous, and more competent. And who doesn't want to be perceived as more likable, courteous, and competent? A study reported in Neuropsychologica showed that brains may be very likely programmed to pay attention 
to smiling faces. Smiling, when meeting someone for the first time, will likely be remembered at a subsequent meeting. And a genuine smile has health benefits. It lowers heart rate, reduces stress by increasing endorphin production, create, creates a better mood, and increases productivity. A smile can reduce physical and emotional pain and can boost our immune system. Now, there are going to be times when you don't want to smile. You might be feeling down in the dumps or tired, but by making the attempt to smile, you set the stage for improving your feelings. The old phrase, fake it until you make it. Put a smile on your face often enough and you will feel better. A smile can not only transform your mood, but it can transform those who come in contact with you. It may open doors and allow you to have influence on those around you. Think about the power of a smile, your smile, could have on those around you and on the world. We can truly never fully know what change can happen because of our actions. Start each interaction with the most powerful expression you can use, a smile. The source for this quote is unknown. It goes as follows. We learn something from everyone who passes through our lives. Some lessons are painful, some are painless, but all are priceless. Our past can help us excel and move forward into our future. We can't live in the past because that means we're not moving forward. The past can act as a tool, but we can learn lessons, make notes, decide what works, what doesn't work, what to improve or what change. I have said in previous episodes that the past is an illusion but you can learn from it. You just don't want to get stuck there because you can't embrace today or any possibility of a future. We all have experiences that have shaped us in some ways that are good and some ways that are bad. It's about looking honestly at what has happened and learning lessons. When I was growing up, both of my parents smoked. And as a kid, I said, "Eh, I'm not going to smoke. Yuck. It was smelly, it was dirty, and eventually my parents quit smoking for health reasons. But I learned a lesson from their life and incorporated it into mine. Experiences from our past can help us develop inner strength where we know what is right for us and are willing to make a stand even if it makes other people unhappy. This inner strength will serve you for all of your life. As you grow up, you learn that there, that life has turning points. When they're actually happening, you don't know that they're turning points. You need to, you have to take some time and reflect on the situation. Sometimes that's many years down the road. The death of a parent or a grandparent or a beloved friend can be a turning point where something bad happens and you learn to trust yourself more. You develop more confidence. You develop perseverance. You listen to your gut, to your intuition, and you learn to take risks. And all these things taken together will help you grow stronger and can transform your life in ways that you can anticipate. And you don't have to stick with just conventional systems. Open up your mind to trying things that are unconventional because you never know where a spark to to a new idea or way of doing something will happen. 
What do Richard Branson, Steve Jobs, Dave Thomas, Walt Disney, Thomas Edison, Colonel Sanders, and Albert Einstein have in common? They were all original thinkers. They failed. They tried again. They failed again. They persevered. They surrounded themselves and embarked on a relentless search for knowledge and expertise. And you can do the same. You can use the internet, the local library, to learn and advance your knowledge. Another item that you need to learn and develop is your ability to focus. Write down what you want to achieve today, for the week, for the month, for the year. Review the list once a day to see what progress you're making. This ensures if you're staying on task, or maybe something has changed or, or shifted, so that you might want to modify your actions. Commit to excellence. This generally means more training, more learning. Be original. You have the capacity and the ability to make choices and changes in our actions and behavior. We can learn from our mistakes. We can make course corrections as necessary. You don't want to follow the pack on every issue. What's stopping you from being unique? What is preventing you from trusting your own judgment and stepping boldly in today's world where your only limitation is your willingness to be different? You need to learn to make independent decisions. I've said in previous episodes that you also want to avoid the news. They're organized around negative information. The reality that the news exposes us to daily is skewed to negative interactions and disaster. And the question becomes, is, is that what you want leading or guiding your life? If it's really bad news, you'll hear about it. But if it's good news, it won't make the cut. So here's another place that you get to choose where you spend your time and what kind of influence it has upon your life. I want to thank you for tuning in today and hope you'll come back next week for another episode of Infinite Possibilities Abound. This is your host, Debbie Waisner. Have a wonderful week, everybody.